Hi everyone. Nice to be able to be here. It's been a while. Um, too long actually. We love coming here. Um, I would like to talk today uh, about the subject of marriage and before those of you who are not married shut out and think you'd like to go and help in the Bible class, um, I just thought I might mention that the Bible has um, a lot of analogies that it uses. Uh, it uses the analogy of a servant and we learn from that analogy even though we are not slaves as people were in those days. There were people who were uh, made slaves and, and were stuck in that position. The Bible gives analogies of, of a businessman and we know, may not be a businessman but we still see a characteristic of God that is shown there. And, uh, and in the analogy of marriage, we see um, the gospel message as much as it is laid out in various analogies in the Bible showing something of God's character. And the analogy of marriage that sort of stands out, there's probably a lot we can mention, but it is how two very different people um, can be brought together to be as one. And in one place Jesus prays for his disciples that we may see how that the Father and he are one and that we might get a picture of what that is like. And so when Jesus then calls the church and uh, calls people out of the world who are very different to him and wants to bring us all together as one, in an, uh, an engagement which is due for marriage at his return, that he is showing how that very different parties can be brought together as one. And so that doesn't mean we have to be in a marriage to understand that. Um, we can see how that, that same principle can apply between brothers and sisters in the Lord, that, that oneness can be brought together as it is with the Father and the Son. And, and how that in spite of our very different characteristics we uh, are brought into this relationship. So it's, um, there is a lot to learn from the Bible principle of marriage and it's, there is one marriage that we all intend to be involved in and that's between Christ and the church, all the people said. And so let's uh, have a look at a couple of scriptures uh, as we're talking about it and I want to start in a book we don't read from very often the Song of Solomon if I stretch a little bit while I'm giving my talk it's because uh, um, I got a bit too competitive last night and uh, I probably shouldn't have but there was all these guys around me it was their fault they were they <laughs> They got me going. I didn't know I still had those, those competitive thoughts in me. Um, I'm still looking for it. It's after Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. I might just uh, make a couple of obvious points, I, I guess, first, first of all, that marriage in the Bible uh, is between a man and a woman. 
Um, we still believe that it was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, not Adam and Steve. And others may disagree with us these days. Um, and it's now become law. And we are the lawbreakers when we speak up against it, even though we're supposed to have freedom of speech. Um, I guess it's not a breaking a law to say such a thing, but the attitude of people now is as though you were breaking the law when you, when you speak against those things. So it's usually not a healthy conversation to enter into, and I find in my own experience that we're better off just to, to say um, very little about it uh, to those who are aggressive and just to be a good testimony and because uh, people have become very worked up about uh, defending their sinful ways. Um, I still haven't found it. Um, the other thing I was going to mention was that years ago, Pastor Dean Clee, who's now passed away, um, took a, a, um, a wedding. Uh, sorry, he went to a family wedding. Uh, it was in the Catholic Church. I don't think he really wanted to be there, but uh, he was supporting what was a good thing, uh, somebody in the family getting married. And um, he said the, uh, the man of the cloth who was out the front uh, said to everybody, I guess that these days there's a lot of people here today that don't really believe in marriage. And he said maybe even this audience, perhaps this half over here doesn't believe in marriage and this half over here does believe in marriage. And maybe with this couple, maybe one believes in it and one doesn't. Now there's a great way to start a marriage. Uh, so he found that most unusual way to encourage people. Um, so Song of Solomon chapter 4. So we have a different perspective and the Song of Solomon is really forecasting the relationship between Christ and the church. It's, a, it's an unusual um, um, poetry, I guess uh, that's how you could, you could speak of it. Maybe there's another word for it, but uh, it's, it's a, a love story. So chapter 4, and in here we just find uh, the male in this particular uh, little story uh, speaking to the female. And in verse 7 he says, Thou art all fair, my love, there is no spot in thee. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of uh, Ammonah, uh, from the top of Shanir and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountains of the leopards. <clears throat> he was going to take her an interesting place. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse. How much better is thy love than wine and the smell of thine ointments than all spices. Now, we, for those of us who've ever fallen in love, we know we sort of all of a sudden get all romantic and we discover feelings and emotions and expressions that perhaps we've never ever used. And we wonder where they come from all of a sudden. When we've been loved by our parents, perhaps we haven't really understood uh, what love is. It's just been given to us and we've sort of returned it. But when you fall in love with somebody that you're going to marry, all of a sudden there is this rush of feeling that sort of sees no fault. And that's what it says in verse 7. There is no spot in thee. I see no fault in you. You just look marvellous. 
and, and, and it goes on with, and, and this book has got a lot of these sort of expressions and, and I don't know if any of you here would dare admit that you wrote some poetry to each other. Uh, the ladies would admit it, but the men might not. Um, it's usually the men that do the writing of the poetry, I think. Um, and, um, but, but it is what happens as we discover this love. Now, if I, if I want to run parallel through this talk about our love for Jesus Christ, that when we first discover Jesus Christ or he discovers us and we respond and he discovers us this way and we come along and we decide that we are willing to give up everything that we, that we used to count valuable to us as far as our beliefs and our, our sinful behaviour and we say, all I want to do is do what you want me to do, Lord, and we get baptised and spirit-filled, he says, I see no spot in you. And that is an amazing union when, when Jesus, who is perfect, says that of us, when we are willing and we, we need to be willing because if we decide, well, I actually want to bring some of my life with me, well, they are actually the spots upon us. And he, he, he doesn't want us to bring it with us. He wants it left behind. And then he says, I see no spot in you. And, and, and this relationship begins uh, between us and him. And he says, come with me. And he says, come with me, my brother, my sister, as it says here um, in, in this particular passage, the, the, the husbandman to the wife uh, here-to-be um, is saying, uh, my sister. And we know that Jesus sees us as not as, uh, in a sense, sons, but sees us as brothers, sees us as sisters. So... That's his approach to us. Let's go to chapter 5. And in verse 9, and here's the woman responding. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? Um, what is thy beloved more than, than another beloved that thou dost so charge us? There's a bit of a conversation there. And she says, my beloved is white or he's spotless and ruddy, the chiefest amongst 10,000. There's nobody like him. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as raven. So here it's her turn to get excited about her man. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters washed with milk and fitly set. And um, I won't sort of get too much into the poetry of it all here, but it, it, it's just two people in love. And they are, uh, they are seeing each other as more important than anybody else. And when we go through our marriage vows, that's what we say about... Uh, and I'm, I should have had a read of it before I came here because now I mention it, I can't even remember it. But faithful to you... And, and, and you remember it? <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to live it. Um, and in chapter 6, we just also have a little look there in verse 3. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. And, and here's this commitment to each other. All my worldly goods I thee endow. Everything that is, is um, yours is mine and everything that is mine is mine, is how some people say it. <laughs> but it's not meant to be that way. 
You know, you have people with their prenuptial, you know, arrangements where they don't really commit. There's, a, there's always an out clause. But in fact, God wants us to have, in a sense, if I can put it that way, a joint account. We are together. Our life is now being about to be built together. I, I belong to my husband. I belong to my wife. And we have both committed ourselves to each other and to no other for the rest of our lives. That's the, the, the amazing unity that God is trying to, to build, not, not a unity which is broken and then re-established with another and broken and re-established with another. That's not God's intention. Even though that may have happened to some of us here before we came to the Lord and we, you know, we know that we made our mistakes, but then we come to the Lord and the Lord uh, sets us on a new path. In chapter 8 and in verse 6, Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Love is a very powerful force. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which has a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned. It wouldn't compare. All the substance of his ownership would not compare with love. And when we come to the Lord, that's the sort of... Um, position we're in is we say I am so amazed by what Jesus has done for me and how he has offered me forgiveness, favour you know really made something special for me that it has, it has just so softened me uh, I might have resisted, I might have fought but now I will trade in everything I have, if I have to lose it all I will lose it all for Christ because such is my understanding of what he has done for me. And in a natural sense, we also find that in a marriage that our relationship will be tested. Um, some people maybe have a, an easier run than others. Um, we were a couple that got tested in our marriage and uh, we'd got tested before our marriage. Um, but it got tested a bit after our marriage as well. And I guess it's been tested many times since, but... Um, maybe the tests at the beginning might have divided us but I think now the tests only strengthen us and at the beginning I can remember at times where I'd, I'd actually uh, when we first came along um, because we'd, we'd broken up just before we heard the gospel and then we tried to get it back together again and when we came back together we, as Cathy described in her testimony before that we, we had another chance and uh, and this time we, uh, after uh, that camp event, we both got baptised and there was a period there where neither of us had received the Holy Spirit and we were a bit um, sort of still watching and trying to figure out what was going on and her family started to give her a fair bit of curry and uh, trouble that is, uh, not an Indian family. And, um, and so they, um, she just thought, sort of thought for peace that she would stay home and not come and she said goodbye to me. She'd managed to do that once before, it was getting easier. And um, so, but she wished me the best and uh, just, you know, not wanting to upset her, the, the family home. 
And I remember at the time that I prayed about it, and I, uh, this is even before I was spirit-filled, but I, I did have a prayer about it. And I said, Lord, if she's for me and I'm for her, then she will come back. And if, if that's not going to be the case, then it won't happen. And um, anyway, I'm not sure how long it was now, maybe a few weeks uh, later, I gave her a bit of space and then I rang her and said, how are you doing? And she said, it's no better staying home. I'm coming back. And I thought at that moment, I thought, God has given her to me. And when later on we both received the Spirit and we got married um, and we had you know, a few difficult moments, I could never forget that. I thought I prayed. I prayed that she would be my wife. I cannot now think about divorce just because she rubbed me up the wrong way somehow. <laughs> I cannot just all of a sudden spit the dummy and say, that's enough. I've got to work at this and find a way because um, sometimes, of course, what happens is that we, we, we start seeing no blemish, but then we get married and after the marriage and the test comes along, we might start to see a blemish. And that's where the, the, the test really comes in. I heard a chap years ago um, made a joke um, about his, his wife, which I thought was very unkind. And he said that, um, I don't even know if I should say it, but I've, I'm out there now. Um, and he, just, he was just commenting how that after he married his wife, and he was trying to you know, get the get the laughs of the crowd and he said that you know the next day you know he sees her there in bed without her makeup and and he wasn't so impressed and I thought you dirty rotter (laughs) and um and I mean us guys probably need makeup but we just don't do it (laughs) um because we're guys (laughs) as opposed to modern guys um and but when you love somebody and you look after it, the faults go away. You don't see it. You forgive it. You bear with it. You, you, you actually start to um, think, maybe give a good example of a man when he was um, giving his speech at his wedding. He said, I w- as he looked across to his wife, he said, I just want to look after her and I never want to do anything that will hurt her. And I went, wow, wish I'd started like that. It was just a really heartfelt comment from a man who understood how to look after his lady. And I had to learn that. Um, You know, after Kathy thumped me a few times, I started to get the idea (laughs) about how it worked. And and it it became more of a joy to do something to know what your wife liked and to do what she liked and not to dig your heels in and do the opposite. It became a joy to avoid those things that would upset her. And, and, and I'm sure it came back the other way as well. And so as, uh, as we do that, um, as the Bible talks about dwelling, husbands dwell together with knowledge, First Peter three to sort of understand your wife, to um, you know tr- try and work out how they think. You heard the old story of the the guy on the island who found the the bottle, and the genie jumped out of the bottle, 
And uh, the genie said, I've got a, uh, you've got your big chance now, you've got a couple of wishes. And he said, what would you like? He said, oh, could you build me a highway from here, from Australia across to Hawaii? I'd like to be able to get there really easily. The genie, um, the genie said, oh, what's your next question? He said, oh, to understand the mind of a woman. He said, how many lanes do you want on that highway? <laughs> now, we know <laughs> that there is a challenge understanding each other. And that goes both ways, I'm sure. There is a, a challenge understanding each other. We come from different backgrounds and, and opposites attract. And, and, and just as we find with the gospel that Jesus Christ has come to us in our state and he has understood us, he has understood our need and he hasn't come to hurt us, he's come to heal us. And he wants us to understand him as well. So, so there's a two-directional thing of each trying to understand the other. And so as life throws its challenges at us, it says here, many waters cannot quench love. Many, many dangers, many things that will happen to us, and they will. You know, we will have issues with our children, we will have issues with our family, we will have issues with our houses, with our money, with our jobs, with our... we will have issues. It doesn't all just roll along beautifully according to some fairy tale. It will, we will get hit. But many waters cannot quench the love between us and God and the love that is in a marriage between two people who instead of, as, as happens, you know, often when there's serious trouble in a relationship, that the first thing that people will often say is this will break the marriage. You know, when there's serious money trouble, when there's serious health issues, people will often say, and, and we have people in our assembly who have had terrible things that they've gone through. I think about, uh, um, we have a, a sister in Adelaide who has been on dialysis since she was 16 years old. She is the longest living, I think, uh, person on dialysis. She's now 70-ish. And her husband died um, now a couple of years ago, got hit by a bus. And he looked after her. When she married him, and he married her when she had uh, been in the Lord for some years, he'd been in the Lord for a while, and, um, and she didn't get healed of the problem. And he took her on with the dialysis problem, everything. He just, he just loved her. He saw no fault in her. She called him Mr. Wonderful. That was her name for him, always, Mr. Wonderful. He just looked after her. And, and now she's lost him. He's gone, Mr. Wonderful, the one that looked after all her needs. And other brothers and sisters have picked up the responsibility that he had handled for her. And we got uh, a comment recently from the people who helped in that area with her, that they were amazed that, at what the church had done. They just didn't expect that that would happen. But those sort of things break relationships. They don't always bring relationships together. They often go the other way. And you hear of it where people have had a child that, you know, they didn't know how to handle it. Was, it had become so, so ill, and, and sometimes it's just too much pressure uh, for the families to hold together. But here it says that uh, many waters cannot quench love. And love is more powerful than fear. 
It, it, will, it will defeat fear. Perfect love casts out fear. It, it, it holds stronger uh, when, uh, when uh, things come to test us. Let's go to Psalm 68. Just before I read this, one of the, the things I just wanted to bring out of the Solomon, Song of Solomon as well was that um, while it's just the story of the beginning of a relationship, you never want to forget your beginnings. Um, when things uh, go get hard, it is always worth reflecting back to your beginning. It's always worth reflecting back to how you got saved. That's why we come up and give our testimony. We're constantly bringing up how we got saved because it was such a momentous event and we don't ever want to forget it. And when we're challenged in our walk in the Lord, the best thing we can do is go back to our beginnings and say, I remember that day I got filled with the Holy Spirit. What a day that was. I'll never forget it. And when we get down and we pray in the Spirit, we're reminded all the time of what was done for us and also what lies ahead. There's a great reward ahead if we continue on in the Lord. And so it is a bit with a marriage that the the Song of Solomon, I think, is taking us back to remembering why did we choose this person? When down the track, the differences that you love, loved, become the things that annoy you. Because that's often what happens. The differences that we loved become the things that annoy and uh, because, and then when, when it gets to that point of contest between two people, they say, we are so different. We just shouldn't be married. We're so different. Yet that's the very thing that attracted us to each other, is the difference. But somehow or other, it, it, what was not a problem has become a problem. And we need to remember why we loved that quality and to encourage and allow that quality rather than to try to stamp it out. You know, when we try to change each other, it's the worst thing we can ever do is to try to change each other. That's God's business. God has, he is the one that changes and moulds us. But if we as, as husband and wife or brothers and sisters try to change each other, we will never do it. We will just never do it. It's the ministering of the word of God that changes us. Nothing else can change us like that. And so the Song of Solomon is a, is a role example. You know, we t- they talk about those things these days a lot, role models and so on. And even in a natural way, a lot of us, um, you know, we look back at our own families and say, now, did, did we, were we fortunate enough to grow up with a, with a good role model of a family? And some of us maybe yes. Some of us maybe know. Um, and, and if we've never had a good role model, how do we react to that role model? Do we say, I want to be the opposite? Because people do react. They react to be the opposite. Sometimes they, they don't know how to get out of the mould that they grew up in. It can, it can flip either way. It doesn't necessarily stand because you had a bad role model that you're going to be exactly the same. Some people are so determined not to be the way their household was. Um, and, and sometimes you can have 
such a good role model, but it it doesn't get through to you. We have a sister in one of our assemblies uh, in the Sunshine Coast these days, and she says, my parents were so good to me and my family. She said, but there was something missing in me. She said, I never, ever felt loved. She said, I don't know why that was. They did everything they could. They loved me, but I never felt loved. And, and she said, it was me. I was the problem, not them. And she said, when she got spirit-filled, all of a sudden she was filled with love and the problem was gone. So God fills the gap no matter what has happened. But when Kathy and I came to the Lord, we, well, I don't know if Kathy was doing it, but I was looking around for role models. And not that my parents were bad, but I just, uh, we'd got into the bad habit of arguing. And arguing is something you never want to learn how to do. It's just a bad place to be. It's a bad thing between brethren. It's a bad thing between husband and wife. It's, it's just a bad place to be. And you sort of, you don't see it with Jesus. And, and we'd, we'd learned how to do it. We could argue pretty well, couldn't we? <laughs> we, we learned how to do it. And then we had to try and find a way out of it, out of a habit that we had developed. And I looked around in the assembly at good examples and I remember seeing a couple who could laugh at themselves and I thought I want a slice of that they didn't take everything seriously in their lives whereas we could take a lot of things seriously you know you can you can argue about I mean is it ever anything important that we argue about we can argue about the most unimportant things and um and you've and we had to find a way out of it and these people were so easy going with each other and I thought I so want a bit of that. And other, I noticed another couple that just really looked after each other and I thought I'd like a bit of that. But it didn't sort of just come like that for us. It ended up that um, one day after we had argued that... Um, and <laughs> I try and behave myself, Cathy. I always like to pay Cathy out and tell everybody that she was the problem. But I'll behave myself today. Um, and, and I would got angry and I went down to the other end of the house and I got down on my knees and I called out to the Lord and I said, Lord, change her. <laughs> just whatever you have to do, just, I won't look, just do it. She's your daughter. And, um, and as I'm praying, I thought, hang on a minute, I've been changed. I've got the power of God in me. I've been changed to be able to handle things. And not to get upset. And I got up and I walked back and Kathy was having some prayer in the kitchen and all of a sudden we were back in love again. You know, you swing in arguments from love to hate. You know, it ramps up and you, you can't control this feeling. It just gets out of hand. And, it, and, and your feelings can be incredibly misleading because, because all the good things all of a sudden are forgotten. And all logic goes out of the window because your feelings have got a hold of you. And, and, but once you let the spirit take over, it just calms you. And, and, and then you're able to see things clearly again. And that way we learnt how to trust in the Lord and how to go to the Lord for peace before we would talk about the matter. And, and it just got better and better. So... Role models um, are good, 
but the spirit is the best. And the same thing again goes between brethren. You know that before you lock horns with a brother or sister in the Lord, just think it's better not to. It's better never to lock horns. Just avoid it. Run away from it. Go and pray. Say, Lord, before I say anything, help me here. Help me to to be wise. So Psalm 68. Let's have a read there. There's a great uh, scripture here um, in verse 18, and it's a prophecy about Jesus Christ. And it says, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Now, Jesus Christ, of course, was the one who ascended on high. There's a great phrase here, thou hast led captivity captive. Seems like such a contradiction. But we were captive to the world... And we were taken from that captivity into a new captivity. We've now become captive to Christ. So that's what has happened to us. It's a a new captivity. It's not as though we were just released and let free. We were brought from one serving to another serving. I don't know if anybody here old enough to remember Bob Dylan, but Bob Dylan used to sing, you've got to serve somebody, you know, however he said it. And, uh, and, and you do. We either serve the world or we serve the risen Christ. And so the one who came and died for us came from his heavenly glory. He came into the depths of the earth. He died for us and he rose again and he went to be with his heavenly father. It says he is the one who has now called us into captivity with him. And that captivity is an enjoyable captivity. It's a happy place. It's not, you know, we're stuck here being boring Christians. It's I've been released to serve the Lord and what a reward I get when I serve him. What a fulfilling life it is. And this again is this unity where we are joined together with the Lord, even though it it says here, and he's given gifts to us, and he says, for the rebellious also. And he's grabbed us and said, you want to be on my team? Want to be on my team? And, and, and once we allow ourselves to be free of our old captivity and, and be betrothed to him, it just starts a whole new relationship. And I might just add to it, back in verse 5 and 6, it says, A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. That's those who stay rebellious as opposed to those who are prepared to change. And so he has brought us and said, whether we actually get married in this life or not, he said, I'm putting you in my family so that if you live life alone, I'm going to make sure you don't feel alone. I'm going to put you in the church. I'm going to put you in a place where you are well looked after. Whether you're an orphan, as it says, a father of the fatherless, or whether you're a widow or a widower, said, I'm going to put you right in my family where you are, you're going to be looked after. And, it's, uh, and, and here we are. You know, we are, not, we are not necessarily the most clever. 
We're not necessarily the strongest. We are not necessarily the, the best brought up. We are not necessarily the most polite. You know, we come along maybe a bit rough around the edges. Maybe we still are. But we're God's church. And, and he's taken us and he's delighted in us. The world might refuse us, but he's delighted in us. And, and there are those who want all the polish and they can go to their polished places. They cannot, they're welcome here, but they often don't choose to be here. They choose to be elsewhere and to have their, their modern flashy church, not, not to be amongst, as Jesus Christ was, just amongst the everyday people and to be one with them, the strugglers, the battlers, the people who, have, who haven't necessarily found it that easy in life and said, this is my work, this is what I love to do, is to be unified uh, with these people. Um, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Just a quick one I, I wanted to mention here. Um, verse 9, sometimes read out at our weddings, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labour. Now whether this is two brothers in the Lord, two sisters in the Lord, serving the Lord together, going visiting people, going outreaching, picking people up, uh, sitting encouraging over a cup of tea, whether it's that or whether it's in marriage, it just says like the other scripture, iron sharpens iron. Two are better than one. It's better to go places with some, someone else. Sometimes you end up in dangerous places. I remember a chap I went to see one time, big guy like a bear, and um, I listened to him for a while. I, I visited him a couple of times, and um, the, uh, the last time I visited him, he... Um, uh, all of a sudden I tried to get him to let go of his old grizzles and I said, can't you just leave that behind? And he stood up as angry as all out and I'm sort of sitting down low on this couch and, I, and as he comes across to me, I'm thinking, he's going to land on me and I'm, gonna be, I'm, I'm not going to be just in, a, in a good shape. So I stood up and, uh, and there we are and he's sort of standing, looking me in the face, yelling at me. And I'm thinking, the less I say at the, at the moment is better. And I waited till he'd calmed down and eventually I found out, oh, he went across and kicked a hole in the kitchen door um, just to show how angry he was. And I found a way to leave eventually and I didn't go back and I thought, I shouldn't have been on my own. I should have had somebody with me. And two are better than one. Um, and we, we can help each other. In verse 10... For if they fall, uh, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he has not another to help him up. And so our challenges at times, um, we can really assist each other uh, in our marriage or as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Let's go to, um, where shall we go? Um, might just change of tack a little bit. The book of Acts, chapter 16. Uh, why doesn't that look right? 
I think it's meant to be Romans 16. Romans 16 and verse 3. Paul uh, writes to the Romans here and he mentions a whole lot of people personally at the end of this letter. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Now here's a, a brother and sister, uh, a couple, a married couple, who we read of uh, first of all back in Acts chapter 18 where Paul catches up with them. They were tent makers together. And they were a real team for the Lord. And, uh, and it's great when husband and wife both marry, both, <laughs> both in the Lord and, um, and this can happen. It's not the case for everybody. Some of you might be married to somebody who's not walking or not in the Lord and, uh, and it's a different scenario and the Bible talks about that in another place and it's pretty tricky for some of you and I often think people in those circumstances do a, make an amazing stand um, of standing on their own and, and realising how important the fellowship is for them and having to try and keep peace at home at the same time. Um, but here you've got a brother and sister who are united uh, husband and wife united and and what a benefit that is and it says of this this couple that they had laid down their lives for Paul now I don't know what risks they'd taken but they just saw that together they were strong and the both of them were prepared to confront whatever was ahead of them and that takes a bit it takes a bit of planning when you both decide to serve the Lord together. Um, husbands are not uh, generally known as being the best communicators in the world. Maybe some exceptions here today, but um, that's generally uh, the way that the ladies usually are better communicators and they want us to communicate better. Um, and if, if we want our wives to help us in the service of the Lord, and if we want to help them in the service of the Lord, it takes a fair bit of communicating and of laying down plans. And, um, and if we want our household to come with us, the, the best thing we can do as husbands is to entrust certain things with our wives and to let them know that we value their input. The best thing you can do as wives is to pray for your husbands in their role as a leader in your family and to be able to um, put your imaginary crash helmet on for when he makes a mistake and not say too much and just say, Lord, teach him. He's new at this and I'm new at following somebody who's going to go into a crash. But if you pray for him and don't discourage him, he will get better at it. But if you fight him, then all of a sudden neither of you will get anywhere. You'll be busy fighting over what went wrong. And so here was a team that had actually got that together where she knew how to give in and to pray for her husband 
And what the Bible says to the, to the sisters in marriage, submit to your husbands. Talk it out by all means, but in the end, defer to him. Let him have the call. Pray for him. That he'll see it, that he'll get it, that he'll listen to your wise counsel. Or that if, if you were wrong, that he'll nicely um, not bring it up. And, and husbands to find a way to make sure your wife knows enough to be able to plan what lies ahead. And, and so here was a team that managed to do that and they were so good at it, they, they, they didn't even value their own lives. And a church grew around them here. Greet the church that is in their house. And our home and our marriage is a great base to build an assembly from. It's a great base to, to, well, maybe not necessarily an assembly, but to build revival from. People come into our homes and they see what we have and they go, you know, I think they quite, hopefully, if everything's sort of us, if, if we are following the Lord, whether we've got faults or not, they will see our desire for the things of the Lord. It'll stand out. Just in a bit of a different way, we had a lady who came to our Easter camp and um, she... Uh, had worked for the United Nations for 30 years in Washington, D.C., Filipino lady. And uh, she'd only just landed in Australia. She'd retired and her husband was an Aussie soldier. And just within a, a couple of weeks of arriving in Australia, they uh, were invited down to our camp at Karakalinga. And I wonder whether she thought she was coming to a resort. But she got a dormitory up in KFC for anybody who knows our campsite. And uh, so it's not, it's not necessarily, you know, five star, four, four, four maybe, yeah, it's, it's not quite five. And anyway, we were sitting with her in the hall and she used to be a Catholic and we're just, uh, and, her, and she's just looking around and there's people everywhere and she's hearing the things of the Lord and talking about it and she said, I never thought it would look like this, you know, like the blessing of God. I never thought, and she's in a big shed, you know, we, we love it, but it's a big shed. And uh, she said, I was standing in the laundry and someone's talking to me about what God has done for them. And it's, it's not very Catholic and it's not what she imagines. It's a bit like the Queen of Sheba coming to Solomon and saying, I didn't think it would look like this. You know, people come into our midst, into our, into our meetings and into our homes and they're blown away. We might not think so, but they are. They're blown away. And we may not have everything. You know, it might be a mess. You know, maybe, maybe we haven't got everything that we want. But they see something in us. They think, I never thought it would look like this. And they're drawn to the gospel as a result of it. And here's this couple that they had addicted themselves to the work of the Lord. And when we can get into that position as brothers and sisters in a marriage and, and just brothers and brothers, sisters and sisters in the fellowship and we say, let's use our homes. Let's invite people into our homes. And I'm sure you do it. When, when we do that, then great is our reward. And, and, and we plan our lives that that is our main goal. And yeah, we've got to pay our bills and we've got to work and so on, but our main goal is that when Jesus Christ comes back, that we're there at the marriage of the Lamb, that we're there for what, for what really counts. Um, I think I'm going to run short of time. Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. 
Revelation 19 and in verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife has made herself ready. And this is speaking of Christ and the church. And that day is awaiting us. And as a bride would get herself ready on her wedding day um, and, and makes her preparations to be at her best that day, not just in her appearance but in her heart and in, in, in the things that she knows that she's going to say to her husband, the things that she, she feels and she knows that she now is going to give up her old name. She's going to give up parts of her life. She's not going to live in the same house anymore. He's probably not going to live in the same house anymore unless he's already bought a place and left his parents. But they're now going to both sacrifice something. You know, marriage is not about two independent lives under one roof. But it, it's a giving up of certain things and, um, and, and coming together. And here we know Christ died for us. That was his part of it all. And he, he, he rose from the dead and gave his gift to us. And then we, in response, have made ourselves ready. We have been baptised, spirit-filled, walked on in the Lord. We've had our troubles. We've had to go to the Lord sometimes and say, Lord, forgive me. We've had to go to the Lord sometimes and say, Lord, I want the courage to do this thing. But we've done everything that we could. And uh, it says here in verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And praise the Lord for the future that we have in this marriage. And we won't be husband and wife on that day. You know, on that day we will just all stand as, as individuals. We will stand before the Lord. We will be joined to the Lord forever. And, and that's something great for us to look forward to. And may we, uh, may we all hang on and invite whoever we can to that marriage. All the people said. Amen.